0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: Welcome to Voices of the Walrus on AMI-audio, where professional readers give voice to articles from Canada's best general interest magazine. I'm your host, Roger Ashby. Tourists traveling into outer space isn't a fantasy for the future. It's happening now. Lori Wilson reads, Why the Moon is the Next Tourism Frontier.
0: This is a Q&A interview titled, Why the Moon is the Next Tourism Frontier, by Chris Lewicki, as told to Nicole Jankowski. It's been said that, within our lifetime, booking a trip to outer space could be as easy as buying a plane ticket to Europe. Elon Musk's SpaceX is already advertising orbital flights for the ultra-rich. The next frontier for some entrepreneurs is the moon. It's been only 50 years since humans set foot on its surface, but a Jetsons-esque world of lunar hotels, commercial spacewalks, and rover rides might not be so far away. We asked Chris Lewicki, a former NASA engineer whose company Gravity Lab tests how human activities would function off-planet. What's next for space tourism? Question. What can tourists actually do when they get to space? I see two types of space tourism emerging. The first will be more focused on adventure, not dissimilar to climbing Everest. It's going to be more of a challenge, cramped quarters, limited supplies, bad food. The other type will be more of a luxury approach. Space stations that orbit Earth are roomier and can be built with better viewpoints and amenities, not to mention a way for people to wash their underwear during their trip. What kind of technology is needed to make the moon habitable, or at least visitable? Blue Origin has figured out how to extract oxygen from lunar regolith, or moon dust. This material contains iron, silicon, and aluminum. With enough heat, you can melt down the regolith, then use an electric current to break down those molecules into atoms, separating them from the oxygen they're bound to. The result isn't only air we could use to breathe, but also silicon that can be converted into energy, since solar cells use it as a semiconductor. We haven't yet figured out the best way to grow food in space. There was an experiment last year where scientists grew plants in actual lunar soil, collected on some of the Apollo missions. Unsurprisingly, the result wasn't great. NASA does have a garden on the space station, but one thing we've learned at Gravity Lab is that even though you can grow plants in these conditions using hydroponics, the lack of gravity makes water cling to the roots. They absorb the oxygen from the water, but none of the hydrogen. Then they suffocate. Could we see hotels in space? Axiom Space is working with the company that helped build the International Space Station, ISS, to engineer modules, which will include a manufacturing facility, an observatory, and a hotel that can be connected to it. They have plans to launch the first one in 2025, followed by much larger ones in subsequent years. In the meantime, they've already been flying tourists to the ISS. So these plans aren't happening in the future. They're happening now. An anonymous bidder paid $28 U.S. to fly to space with Jeff Bezos. Could this type of travel ever become accessible to the masses? It's affordable only for the ultra-wealthy right now, but historically, that's how sea, rail, and air travel started too. Space is on that same trajectory. What would you say to people who think we shouldn't trample all over the moon for fun? We've already messed up a lot of things on Earth, so it's fair to ask why we want to go somewhere else and risk messing that up too. But we've also used Earth to create beauty and intrigue, to increase our knowledge, and to do meaningful things for other humans. Space can be a continuation of that. I think we can learn from our history and create more sustainable practices. It's not going to be perfect, but the hope is that it will be better. was an interview titled, Why the Moon is the Next Tourism Frontier, by Chris Lewicki, as told to Nicole Jankowski. I'm Lori Wilson.
1: You've been listening to Voices of the Walrus on AMI-audio, produced by Don Dickinson, audio engineering by Jacob Shamansky. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank, and I'm your host, Roger Ashby. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating and review, and subscribe for more.